Our scripture lesson for today is actually Romans 3, and I'll begin at verse 9 and go through to the end of the chapter. And that isn't anyone's mistake, except for me. I just decided to change it. So um, you're looking at the bulletin. That's what I said, but that's not what I'm doing. The uh, beginning of verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. May God bless the reading of his holy word. This morning, 
we're going to be looking at one of the most familiar sections of the Bible. When someone is having a problem wondering whether they are good enough to get into heaven, we can always bring them to Romans 3 and 9 through 23 to help them see that they are not good enough. Then when they are convinced of their inability to get to heaven because of their own good works, we are responsible to show them the rest of Romans 3. There they will learn that God has provided the way for them to get into heaven. God has sent Jesus Christ to save all who by God's grace will repent and trust in him alone, him alone, as their Savior and Lord. What we have here in Romans 3, these verses here, is a divinely inspired gospel tract. Today we're going to look at these verses with the purpose of understanding them better within the entire context of Romans 3. Now my hope for those of you who are believers today is you will be able to appreciate your salvation more and then more effectively use these verses in witnessing. If you're an unbeliever today, listen carefully. Today, your lost condition will be clearly shown from the Bible. And the only way of salvation in the universe will be shown to you. Now, as we go on to our text, it's obvious we will not be able to cover each verse in detail. But we will see the major thrusts. In order to understand the point that Paul is making in verse 10, we must look at Romans 3, 9. There we read, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Paul says this has been proven before. But he will now proceed to prove it again. That is, that Jews and Gentiles are all under sin and separated from God. He does not use human logic to prove this point. He simply quotes scripture from the Old Testament. Here we have a God-inspired writer of the New Testament quoting scripture from the God-inspired writers of the Old Testament. He uses Psalm 14, 53, and Ecclesiastes 7. It has been written once, but it is so significant that God inspires Paul to repeat it. What's the message that's so important? Well, let's just quote a few portions and see how much interpretation is necessary. Now remember, these verses are speaking of all mankind. Romans 3.10 says, There's none righteous, no, not one. The statement is made, There is none righteous, and the question anticipated is, What? You mean not even one is righteous? That's right, it says, Not even one. Not even one. Then verses 11 and 12 
There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good. No, not one. Both Jew and Gentile are completely without a right understanding of God. We have completely gone out of the way to God. We are completely unprofitable in our relationship to God. And again, we are completely unable to do true good. The word good. Good work sometimes is thrown out there. Good. That is good that is truly glorifying to God. As we think about good, I think every once in a while we need to be reminded, we're not saying that human to human on a horizontal level, that people do good things to each other. They help each other along the way. There's, there's good, and, and the, this good person does something for that person. That person says, that person's a good person. And they're right. From a horizontal level, man to man, it's recognized as good. But when we speak about true goodness, earlier, our brother quoted the shorter catechism again, the purpose, man's purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And this is when we get into vertical good. And that only comes after we're born again through Jesus Christ. Once the Holy Spirit enters us, we start doing things for the glory of God. And it's interesting, um, I, I remember when I was first born again, once I, I got the picture of that, and I can remember that sometimes people would thank me, and I would be compelled to say, we should thank God. No, it's only by God's grace. You, you feel compelled to give God the glory as the Holy Spirit moves within you. Yeah, I did it, but praise God. And then thank you uh, that, uh, the, um, that you have this compulsion. And it's the born-again person who is giving the glory to God, the vertical good. And uh, he deserves the glory. And I think... Um, I don't know if I've said it from this pulpit, but I have said it from other pulpits. Um, one of the things that bothers me, you get become jealous. I know what David felt like when the Philistines were blaspheming the name of God. He heard that, Yahweh's name being blasphemed, and it, it, it burned him up. He just came there to bring food for his brothers, the, the big older brothers who were fighting a battle, and, and, uh, and he uh, heard that. And I said, what? What is this Philistine job? What is he saying? Well, I'm going to get him. I'm not going to take... You can't say that about God. And you, when you're saved, and people start saying things like, uh, uh, things you hadn't thought about before you're saved, you use the same terminology. Uh, wow, I was lucky. And, and you're, when you're saying that word, a lot of people don't realize that people have philosophies and they don't even realize what they're saying. Oh, lucky. Oh, there was a big bang and things just blew away and all of this organization came about through this explosion. You can't show anywhere in science where an explosion has brought anything like this world together uh, through uh, just blowing something up. It's, it's unscientific, really. And, uh, you know, they talk about us being unscientific. 
And when we hear it, we say, no, no, they should be thanking God. It's by God's grace that happened. He deserves the glory in that. You become jealous for God. It wasn't luck. It was by the grace of God. And there's a, again, it boils up in me anyway. Maybe that's why I'm a preacher, uh, that uh, it's supposed to bother me. But uh, anyway, you think about these things that we just take for granted. And uh, the world says, and I, I don't like it when I hear Christians saying things like lucky. Uh, that's, that belies something that you don't understand about life. A basic thing that whatever, whatever blessing you receive, that's it. It's a blessing. I love to hear people say that. What a blessing. I think some people say it, they don't really know the Lord, but there's something there that they don't want to say luck. They want to say blessing. And that makes me feel good. If you're interested in what makes me feel good and bad, well, write that down in your journal. So, uh, the, uh, and as we go on, verses 11 and 12, there's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. See, we have to have an understanding of the word good. There's the horizontal man to man, and then there's after you're saved, you have God the Holy Spirit indwelling you, and you understand He deserves the glory. And you want to give Him the glory in things. And, uh, and that should be a, a, one of the lessons we can learn from this text. And so, since both Jew and Gentile are completely without a right understanding of God, we've completely gone out of the way to God. We're completely unprofitable in our relationship to God. And again, we are completely unable to do true good. The section that amazed me most in verses 11 and 12 is where it says, There's none who seeks after God. Mankind is so lost in sin and deceived by Satan that we are completely unable to seek after Yahweh, the true and the living God. That's how blind we are. Oh yes, mankind has had and still has many religions... But they are a product of sinful self-deception and satanic deception. There's not even one iota of desiring a relationship with the God who is. And we stop and think about it biblically. You think about Adam and Eve. Now they sinned, but they were different than, than us in the sense... There was a time when they were sinless. There was a time when they walked with God. And they had fellowship with God. It was a glorious, glorious thing. And then they sinned. And, and that relationship was cut off. Just as God said, the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And they, they started dying physically, but they died immediately in their souls. And, uh, and so, uh, in their case, you can see how, how awful sin is. That here are two individuals who actually had fellowship with God. And after they sinned, they didn't listen to him. 
Uh, he didn't ask the world of them, that was for sure. Uh, but as soon as they were tempted by Satan and they sinned, spiritually they were dead. And, and, that, and what happened when God came in the garden? Did they run to him and say, oh, we're so sorry, we're, we want that fellowship back. Oh, please. No. They ran and they hid from God. That's how awful sin is. Somehow they just could not just say, please, have mercy. We want that fellowship. No, they hid from God. And then they were cast out of the garden. And then, and have you ever any suffered any pain or sadness or sickness or fear of death? Or Thank you, Adam and Eve. No, it's so sad. It's just so sad. And we're born dead in sins and trespasses, as Ephesians 2 tells us. We never had that. That's how far removed we become when, when with sin. It's so awful. And uh, that's what Jesus meant in John 6.44 where he said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And... We don't know when it happened. Uh, I, I was back, uh, you've heard it before, back in the hippie movement and the, uh, through the 60s and uh, near the end of the 60s and, uh, and I changed. Boom! I was, I started seeing things as they are. I realized I was a sinner. I read the Bible and, and that Jesus was my Savior and Lord and things and my friends didn't want me around anymore. They liked the old George. And I said, well, he's been crucified with Christ. Uh, he's not around anymore. And, um, and that was that. And then the Lord saved me, and the Lord gave me my wonderful wife, Ruth. And, and uh, the, uh, uh, the rest is, is history. Uh, We've been married almost 50 years now. So uh, uh, it's, it's the Lord is so gracious and so good uh, to his people. It's just wonderful. But I look back and I can and I see in these words here that were just described describing people outside of Christ. I say, oh, that was me. I see myself there. Yeah, that's it. And praise Jesus that uh, He saved me. And uh, that's what happens. He has to come after us, and before we know it, uh, we have we're we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Next thing you know, we're we're reading the Bible, and the next thing you know, we repent, we trust in Jesus, and we start fellowship, and we look for other people who know what we know, uh, and such as you people right there, and all the wonderful Christian family I've had through the centuries, years, and uh, I'm not that old, but uh, so uh, the, um, the uh, it's just so wonderful. So... Uh, He's the one that has to draw us to him. And then as we go on in verses 13 through 17 of Romans 3, we see a pointed description of mankind's wickedness and miserable condition. In these verses, we read an awful description. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they've practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Even if we don't kill anybody physically, how often do we hate in our anger 
swells up, wells up in us so that we despise somebody. And uh, there's a, a, a murdering them in our minds. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. And it's so important, I think, uh, to learn this also. When you see the word peace in Scripture, a lot of times people think about peace, uh, you know, as at the end of wars. Uh, and um, it's sometimes at Christmas times you see a political cartoons and if there are wars going on and they a picture of Jesus or they show the cross and it says Prince of Peace and I'm not saying I'm sure the Lord you know would want peace between these warring countries and everything else but Jesus came to bring peace with God that's you see that that's the the peace that is above all pieces because it allows us to go to heaven allows us to be citizens of heaven and so uh, while it's okay to think about peace in the world but he's the prince of peace with God and then as we learn to live with people we have more peace doing things the biblical way so Verse 18 vividly describes mankind's arrogant attitude and what keeps them in spiritual ignorance. Romans 3.18 tells us there is no fear of God before their eyes. No fear of God before their eyes. The opposite of spiritual ignorance is obviously spiritual knowledge. And this is what mankind needs. But what attitude towards God would bring spiritual knowledge? Well, Proverbs 1-7 clearly tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse 18 clearly is an exclamation point on all that has gone before. If the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and mankind has no true fear of God, it's obvious mankind has no knowledge of God. So since God's requirement for entrance into heaven is perfect obedience to his law with the perfect attitude of always seeking his glory in all things, it's obvious that mankind is doomed. And this is exactly what Paul says in Romans 3, 19 and 20. There we read, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. If a person didn't understand what Paul was saying in verse, verses 9 through 18, Paul makes it abundantly clear here in verses 19 and 20. The whole world is guilty in the eyes of God, and no one can be justified by the works of the law because no one can keep it perfectly. Since God requires perfect obedience to his law in order to Enter heaven, the law ends up showing us what sinners we are and our lost 
condition. And if you still don't get the idea, Romans 3.23 repeats the bad news. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Get that? You didn't get that? Well, get that. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And usually uh, a way a lot of uh, preachers would put this is to miss the mark. That's really what the, the word has the idea. To miss the target. And so these verses mean that all people have missed the target they needed to hit in order to be saved from eternal torment. Are you ready for some good news now? I hope so. Praise God. There's also good news in Romans 3. We don't have perfect righteousness ourselves, but Romans 3.21 tells us the righteousness of God without the law has been revealed just as the Old Testament said it would. If we don't have any righteousness of our own, then this is what we need. Now, how do we get it? How does all of this work? Verse 22 tells us, God's righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ to everyone who will believe. And as we go to verses 24 through 31, we'll take a brief look at the different facets of our salvation that are presented there. In 3.24 we have redemption. We were slaves to sin and Satan, but Jesus set us free. That word has the idea of buying a slave and giving them freedom. Redemption. He bought us out of slavery with his blood. And uh, 325, propitiation. We are under God's wrath and Jesus Christ propitiates that wrath. Now, uh, the uh, appeasing, some uh, translation, liberal translations, would put that word, the word appease there. And that's not as strong as propitiation. Uh, It's um, kind of ourselves bringing God to see us in a favorable light has a, a little bit. It's it's a they don't what it is they don't like to uh, talk about God's wrath, so they try to bend it a little and be a little more humanistic. And as uh, people might be offended, we talk about the wrath of God against sin. And um, of course, John three thirty six says, "He who believes in the Son has everlasting life." And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on them. That's what the Bible says. So, we've seen we're all sinners under the wrath of God. Jesus Christ is our propitiation. When true Christians see how sinful we are, we run to the cross of Jesus Christ 
And we rejoice that Jesus became our propitiation by suffering and dying for our sins. Our faith in his body and his blood given unto death became our salvation. It's interesting, Lord, uh, we just praise God for the resurrection. And I I, I always think about how... uh, we, we just said no one ever kept God's law perfectly. Oh, really? One person did, actually. He obeyed God, and whatever God commanded, he obeyed that imperfection, and here's his key now, always with the right attitude. And what attitude is that? Well, what did I just say earlier? The glory of God. He did it in perfection. Imperfection, And as we celebrated the resurrection, I was reminded how um, Leviticus 18.5 talked to what God says, that he gave all his statutes and, and judgments, his, uh, his law, and he said, if anyone does them, that person shall live. In other words, it's the idea is live eternally. And... So when Jesus died for our sins, when he took our punishment, and once God's wrath was satisfied, God had to raise him from the dead, because that's what he said he would do. He obeyed God in perfection. All his statutes and law, everything, and always for the glory of God. And, of course, you remember, it appeared that God really couldn't contain himself. Three times God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He had to say it, let you know, yes, I am well pleased with him. And once God's wrath was satisfied against us for that time, then... Jesus had to be raised from the dead because he was sinless. He was sinless. So praise God for that. Yes. Our faith in his body and his blood given unto death, became our salvation. Praise God forever for saving lost sinners such as ourselves. If you're an unbeliever today, God is calling you. By his grace, you need to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so he may become your propitiation. As we uh, look at 326, I remember when I was young in the Lord, this verse just really hit me very, very hard. Oh, look at that. Romans 326. God remains just, and yet he justifies wretched sinners such as ourselves. Uh, As we read in the shorter 
catechism that God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, unchangeable. And it's being, wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Unchangeable. He cannot change, but he can change us. That's what he does to save us. He sent his Son to be our Savior. And then his Holy Spirit enters us so we can understand everything that's in here for our salvation. Such glorious, glorious things. He's just, and yet he justifies sinners. He cannot change, but he changes us. No boasting for believers, all the glory is God's. Verse 27, saved by faith in Jesus, that's it. Whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, the only way you can be saved is through faith in Jesus. And the law is established because Jesus kept the law perfectly for us. Such a a wonderful, wonderful thing we think about how glorious God is. Um, that Jesus takes our sin away. He suffered for our sins. And we receive his perfect righteousness is put to our account. God's mercy and love is unbelievable. We're going to be praising him forever. Uh, we can understand it so much here, but when we see how glorious heaven is and how glorious God is, then we're really going to know, we're really going to be praising him forever. So if there are any unbelievers here today, God is reaching out to you. I don't know what you thought was your biggest problem when you came in here today, if you're listening on the internet. But the Bible clearly says your biggest problem is your sin problem. You're going to die one day, and someone has to pay for your sins. That's just the way it is. Someone has to pay for your sins. You want to pay for them with eternal separation from God? Right now, it may not mean much to you, but you're being blinded by your own sin. And Satan is there blinding you. Oh, don't listen to him. You know, that's not your biggest problem. Oh, yes, yes it is. Because the Bible says so. So, Praise God that he's just, but that he's also love. And he found a way to change us because he couldn't change. And that meant that Jesus had to pay for our sins. So again, as I said earlier, repent and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And you will be saved. May God have mercy on you and give you the grace to believe. Now what about believers today? How does this apply to us as believers? Well, perhaps you've already made some clear applications in your life. You've understood something you didn't understand before. Maybe praise God for that. What you can do with what we've learned today is look, as I, I said at the beginning of the sermon, look 
at Romans 3 as a divinely inspired gospel tract. Sometimes we may not have a gospel tract with us when we are witnessing to unbelievers, to to someone, whoever. Well, many people have Bibles at home, and we can tell them to go home and look up Romans 3 in the Bible. Read Romans 3 in the Bible, and it will spell out our sin and the way to be saved from our sin very clearly. It clearly points to our sin and Jesus as the only hope of salvation. And again, that those verses that hit me, the, the idea of the just dying for the unjust. I think that really is a very powerful statement from God. And I think we can title this tract that use that put on the front and in your mind maybe if you're not going to print it out the just for the unjust I would think I would be interested in reading that and what is that talking about the just for the unjust he cannot change but he changes us let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you Lord for all your amazing grace. Thank you for these, the scripture, Lord, how clearly it's painted for us, written for us to see. And we know, Lord, we only see it by your grace. We have nothing to boast of. It's because even before the foundation of the world, you chose us in your dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we are in time, space, history. All these centuries later, here we are. Trusting in you and worshiping you in spirit and in truth, just as you ordained it to be. And help us, Lord, to rejoice more and more in the wonder of our salvation, our personal salvation. And help us, Lord, to uh, use your word as a sword to go out and to uh, tear down Satan's strongholds, Lord, and cut through uh, people's blindness and that they might have eyes to see, Lord, as we Open your word and they see it by your grace, by you, Holy Spirit, enabling to see their sin and truly see Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And that we praise you for what you're going to do. And we do pray again, Lord, for our brothers and sisters who aren't enjoying the freedom that we're enjoying. Bless them, Lord. Deliver them. We pray that they would see souls saved because they are where they are. And uh, we pray that you come soon, Lord Jesus, to take us to be with you. And we pray in your precious name. Amen.